Well, hello everyone. I hope that you're uh, able to join me today. We're having a, a continued study of the book of Matthew. And, uh, and so if you're joining me, I hope that you'll say something and put a little note on there on the comments that says, hi, Bill, or yes, we can hear you, or wow, you look kind of goofy, or what's up with that shirt, or something like that. And uh, just know that uh, we're uh, continuing this study of the book of Matthew, uh, looking forward to being able to spend some uh, time and energy doing, uh, doing exactly that. And, uh, uh, and continuing on as we uh, go on through this, uh, through this study. Uh, there's a, a lot of different things that are, that are happening in our world still, obviously, with uh, the coronavirus pandemic. And, uh, and so we want to continue to be especially prayerful uh, about that and seek the Lord's blessing and, um, and continue to be mindful of our leaders, both our church leaders, as well as our community leaders, our state and national leaders, and the leaders all around the world. Because one of the things that, uh, that this has definitely shown us is that we are quite connected, uh, and more so than perhaps even, um, even what we thought. And, uh, and so hopefully uh, there will be some good things that will come from this. And we will look forward to uh, being able to um, to get through it and be on the other side of it in a in a in a good way, in a way that is that is positive and that that gives us all a chance to be closer to the Lord um, and closer to each other. Um, you probably noticed my shirt. Um, I hope you like it. Um, I got good response a while back when I had a Super Mario Brothers shirt on. Um, uh, Pac-Man and Super Mario Brothers were the last two uh, video games that I could actually play. Uh, my grandsons uh, are granddaughter much, much better at all of those than uh, their papa. Uh, but uh, this shirt is one that was a birthday that was a present from um, our youngest daughter, Amanda. And uh, since it's Amanda's birthday today, happy birthday to our daughter Amanda, I thought I would wear this shirt. Um, the story behind the shirt is simply this, um, dads and moms, especially these days, being stuck at home um, and the children being stuck at home, will hear that message from the kids every so often that says something like this, dad, I'm bored. And so this is an official dad shirt that says, hi, bored, I'm dad. There you go. There you go. And, uh, you know, I'm kind of tempted to sing happy birthday to our daughter, Amanda. But instead of that, I'm going to sing a little bit of the song that I always think about uh, when I think of our daughter, Amanda, because she is just a delight and uh, wonderful and lovely. And as you know, has been going through some very serious um, uh, health problems. And we appreciate everyone continuing to be with her uh, in your prayers and uh, her husband, Paul, who is uh, on the important side of being uh, uh, training uh, in uh, some uh, medical field, uh, radiology technology, and some things like that, and it's a very critical time for them. But when I think of my Amanda, I always think of, uh, of this song, and so I know, uh, good to see the Allards there, I know Eric and Cindy will especially appreciate this, uh, being musicians themselves, and so apologies for the quality. But this is what I think of when I think of Amanda, and it's this old song, uh, not that old, but older. Um, let's see. When I see you smile, 
I can face the world. Oh, you know, I can do anything, baby, when I see you smile. So happy birthday, my Amanda Landahan to Sand Amanda. And we love you more than words could ever say. Another great song from that era, more than words, but uh, that's all the singing I'm going to do today. Uh, we're in a, a really uh, difficult and challenging and wonderful um, and uh, amazing passage of scripture uh, in Matthew. Uh, Matthew 5 through 7 is the Sermon on the Mount. And it is some of the most um, challenging and yet most encouraging uh, words that you can read in, uh, in scripture. And it is it is really, really, really challenging. Julie Long says that uh, she's pretty sure her dad has that shirt. Well done, Julie, as, as well he should. Um, and, and so as we think about the Sermon on the Mount, one of the things that is uh, pretty clear is that it's in Matthew 5 through 7. Um, Matthew has a lot of teaching that's put together in that sermon. Uh, one of the greatest uh, literary uh, masterpieces of any kind of genre, I think. Uh, Luke also records a lot of this sermon, but it's in Luke chapter six. It's one chapter and not even the whole chapter. And uh, there are some significant differences. And so as we kind of begin to look at this great passage uh, today, I just want to share a little bit about that, that difference, acknowledging it. Again, we've talked a little bit as we introduced this study about the, the differences between the, the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And, uh, and, and we see that here. We see that here as we compare uh, Matthew 5 through 7 and the Sermon on the Mount with Luke 6, uh, verses uh, 17 through 49, and what Luke calls the Sermon on the Plain. <laughs> and so, you know, we kind of want to ask ourselves, well, which is it, Bill? Is it, was he on a mountain? Was he on a hill? Was he on a plain? Was he in a flat place? Where, where was he? And I kind of want to say, well, yeah, exactly. Um, I think that Jesus spoke a lot about these things that he shared and talked a lot about them uh, on different occasions. And so I think as we consider uh, the amount of time Jesus spent in ministry, Jesus spent, spent uh, teaching and preaching uh, for that three-year period or so, uh, he shared a lot of these things and a lot more often than just what's recorded in the Gospels. Uh, John, as you know, and his purpose statement in John 20, verses 30 and 31 says, you know, Jesus did a lot of other things, said a lot of other things that I could have included, but I didn't. But these things are included, he says, so that you might believe and that believing uh, you might have life. And, and so we understand that the gospel writers were inspired by the Holy Spirit. I believe that very strongly. But we also understand that they were selective and uh, they each wrote from a specific purpose. And just as we see Jesus uh, teaching different things, such as the greatest commandments, we hear that uh, in a couple of different settings. Uh, and uh, I think he shared a lot of the things that he shared and what Matthew has in chapters five through seven uh, during his ministry as well. Very important teaching, very challenging teaching as, as I've said. And so likely Luke and Matthew are both recording things that uh, Jesus shared and said uh, Matthew is going to, uh, we're going to see his call uh, to be a disciple, uh, read about it in just a couple of chapters. Uh, and so as, as we read these things, we, we figure that it's uh, likely things that, that Matthew heard uh, Jesus say firsthand. 
Um, and, uh, and so we consider some other differences between uh, Matthew and Luke in Luke's version. It is woe to those uh, versus Matthew, blessed are those. Um, and, uh, and, and Matthew writes in the third person and Luke writes in the second person. Luke says, uh, blessed are you when these good things happen to you. And then Luke, as I said, includes woes, woe unto you who do this or that. Matthew doesn't include that. He just includes what we're going to read in just a moment and what we have commonly called uh, the Beatitudes. Uh, Luke has a very earthy um, aspect to his, uh, his passage uh, and to his gospel, uh, very concerned for the non-Jew versus Matthew, the kingdom, and uh, talking to uh, his Jewish brothers and sisters. Uh, and so Luke, instead of uh, Matthew, as he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, uh, Luke just says, blessed are the poor. Uh, Matthew says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Luke says, blessed are you when you're hungry or thirsty. Uh, and so there's there's some, you know, there are some differences there, and we acknowledge that. I don't think that that means that either one of them is right or wrong. I think they're both right. I think they're both writing uh, from a different perspective, and uh, and yet they're writing uh, in similar uh, language and and uh, reflecting on the things uh, that Jesus taught. So all of that being said, uh, let's just jump into Matthew chapter five, and um, uh, you know I'm. Every time I study the Sermon on the Mount or teach it, I'm very tempted to just read it and read all three chapters and then have a prayer and quit. <laughs> uh, but I think what we'll do, we're gonna, I'm gonna try to get through Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Uh, this week, we have this class on Tuesdays and Thursdays at four. My goal is to do two chapters each session. And, um, and if I can get Matthew 5, 6, and 7 done uh, today and Thursday, I will feel like I have accomplished a lot. Because as you know, the Sermon on the Mount can go uh, for a very lengthy study. Uh, but I want us to move on. Matthew has a lot of great things in it. And so we'll, we'll uh, stream through this Sermon on the Mount. Um, but I do want us to start uh, in verse 1 and introduce it the way Matthew introduces it and then go on and read what we call the Beatitudes. Matthew 5, verse 1. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, and persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Well, as you can see, that is that is such a, a very, very challenging passage. And we we don't understand it right from the start. And um, and I think it has the same effect that it has on us today as as it had in the first century when Jesus said these words. Because as you look down this list and you hear what he's talking about, you realize, uh, wait a minute, th those aren't the people that are blessed. 
uh, if we were going to make a list of people that were blessed, well, the things that Jesus includes here, we, we likely wouldn't uh, include. Um, and, and so we, we think about that term, blessed, and some translations just translate it happy. And the idea, I think, is um, uh, something that I think is significant throughout Scripture, certainly throughout the New Testament, certainly throughout the Gospels in the life of Christ. And it's something that we have to acknowledge uh, right off the bat. And that is that uh, what Jesus is talking about here is not what we understand in our uh, 21st century American culture as being blessed or being happy. Uh, because we see it as a feeling. We see it as something that, that we feel when everything is, is good, when everything is going our way. And so as we think of being blessed and we think of being happy and of feeling happy, it's almost the opposite of the things uh, that Jesus talks about. Certainly Luke, for example, blessed are the poor. Uh, Jesus says the poor in spirit. Uh, and neither one of those are traits that are very admirable or situations that are very admirable um, in our society today. Uh, Jesus, as he talks about being poor in spirit, it seems like he's talking about uh, someone who is uh, um, not arrogant, someone who is uh, not, not as uh, conceited. Um, and, um, and similarly, blessed are the meek. And, and we, you know, in our society, we, we like the take charge guys. We like the ones that are not shy, that are not humble, that will um, you know, be the ones that will come in and save the day. And granted, there's a place for, for leaders like those. Uh, but Jesus talks about a different kind of leadership. He talks about uh, not a weak leader, but a meek leader. And there's a huge difference, more than just a couple of letters. Uh, when Jesus says, blessed are the meek, we sing a song sometimes that I won't sing, even though I sang something at the beginning. And if you're just now joining us, then sorry, you missed that. Uh, you'll have to go back and catch it. Uh, but that song, Jesus, Meek and Gentle. Um, and, and Jesus was meek, but he was far from being weak. He was very, very strong. Uh, but he was willing to take a back seat to others. He was willing to let others uh, have their way. He was willing to consider the needs of others above his own. And it's, and it's what he calls us to do as well. It's what we're called to do in the rest of the New Testament as we get into the days of the church, starting in the book of Acts in chapter two. And, and we, we, we're reminded that that's the way Jesus was. And we see that in these Beatitudes. As he's teaching these things, you can almost see the crowd. And you have the leaders there, the, the, the religious leaders of the Jews, and they're everything but what he says in these words. And you kind of see them kind of looking at each other and saying, wait, what? That doesn't make any sense. But, but when you look further into that crowd, you see people who are meek. And you see people who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And you see people who are suffering, who are persecuted. Um, and you see people who are, are peacemakers, who instead of trying to get their own way, uh, seek to make peace with others and between others. And they're not the most popular ones in the crowd. And yet when they hear Jesus, he catches us right off the bat uh, with this countercultural uh, admonition. 
that says, look, the things that the world says bring happiness and blessing, um, they don't. They really don't. And so Jesus affirms those who uh, are the outcasts. He affirms those who uh, at times don't, don't feel so blessed because of the things they are suffering. And so starting with the poor in spirit and um, you know, with, with Matthew's version, he not only shares who is blessed, but he also shares how their blessing uh, will be seen by God and accomplished. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is the big theme in the, in the book of Matthew. And so he begins, Jesus in his ministry, and Matthew talks about if you're poor in spirit, then then that's the that's when you're really really blessed. You're not so full of yourself. Uh, we think of the confidence that Jesus had in John 13 when he washed the disciples' feet. It's an amazing passage, and it it it's just before he is killed, and he washes their dirty stinky feet, and and yet at the very beginning, as John leads into that moment, he says Jesus, knowing where he had come from, knowing where he was going. Uh, was able to take off his clothes and put a towel around him and go from one uh, apostle to another, one dirty foot to the next, and wash their feet. Well, that's somebody who is poor in spirit, uh, somebody who is not so full of themselves that they're unwilling uh, to serve. When we get to um, Matthew chapter 20, it'll be that great passage where Jesus says, you know, the Gentiles, the people of this world, they they, they think the greatest among you are the ones who have servants. Uh, but Jesus says, I, that's not my way. My way is that the greatest are the ones who actually serve. And we see that in this list as well. Blessed are you who mourn. Uh, blessed are they those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Um, I use that verse a lot when I'm uh, leading a, uh, a memorial service at a funeral. And I lead it in prayer as I ask God to remember this promise from Jesus that those who mourn uh, will be comforted. Again, the meek will inherit the earth. I don't think that's the physical earth. I don't think that means that the meek will ultimately be vindicated in this life. Hopefully that happens, but not always. But I think what Jesus is talking about here is that they will, they'll see their needs fulfilled and they will be blessed uh, beyond their imagination. Uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And, and you know, my question for us in this is, is, that, is he talking about me there? Am I one of those that hunger and thirst for righteousness? Uh, in chapter 6, in this Sermon on the Mount, verse 33, that great verse, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Um, I don't think we do that a lot in this country. I don't think we're seeking righteousness. Uh, we're seeking happiness and the way that the world sees that. But righteousness is a different thing. And, um, and Jesus talks about having a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. Again, Luke in Luke 6 says, blessed are those who, are, who hunger, uh, who are thirsty, who are poor, and not just poor in spirit. In Matthew 5, Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And, and is that you? Is that me? Are, are we really opening up this book, the Bible, and trying to find out what God says about who is really uh, righteous? Um, for they will be filled, he says. They'll receive that uh, righteousness 
in other places, the New Testament talks about it as someone, uh, as the righteousness of God that we receive through Jesus Christ and his word. Uh, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown uh, mercy. Uh, Later on in this gospel, he will, including when Matthew is called from his tax collector's booth, Jesus will quote the Old Testament uh, prophet Hosea in Hosea 6 and say, who says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And Jesus here establishes how important being merciful is. Uh, And he says they will receive mercy. In other uh, passages, when we get to the parables, he'll tell a parable and he'll say, you know, the ones who are merciful are the ones who will receive mercy from God and the ones who aren't willing to be merciful towards each other. Uh, God is going to uh, withhold his mercy from them. Uh, very challenging and, uh, and very uh, threatening uh, statement that Jesus has for us there. Uh, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Um, one of the things that we'll see in this passage in just a few moments is, you know, Jesus talking about our language. And in other places in the Gospel of Matthew, he says, you know, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so if you want to know what's in your heart, you can take a look at your actions and you can take a look at your speech even, Jesus says. And that's probably the most distressing statement about how important our language is and and what we say and how we talk to each other is. Uh, Because Jesus says it's a window into your heart and what's in uh, your heart. Um, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Not just peacekeepers. peacemakers. And that means at times they're willing to confront. And this is one of those uh, passages that really hits Bill, you know, squarely right there between the eyes. Um, Because by nature, by personality trait, I'm one of those that's kind of the avoid conflict at all costs. Uh, I would rather not confront. I would rather give it some time and let things work out. And surely God will take care of this. But there are times when peacekeeping uh, needs to give in to peacemaking and to where there's conflict that sometimes needs to happen uh, and that things need to be said, hard things, so that uh, the conflict can be uh, uh, can be gone through and uh, and managed and ultimately resolved uh, because it doesn't do any good to just try to keep the peace when there's something that needs to be done. Jesus was not a peacekeeper. He was a peacemaker. You can't accuse a person who makes a whip out of cords and uh, throws tables over so that he can uh, make sure that he runs the money changers out of the temple. That's not a peacekeeper. Keeping the peace there would have said, well, we'll just, you know, you do your truth. I'll do my truth and we'll be okay. Uh, I'm not going to bother you. You don't bother me. We'll be all right. You can't find that in this book. You can't find that in the Old Testament. You can't find that in the letters to the church, in the epistles, in the New Testament. You can't find it in the Gospels. And you can't find it in Jesus. And it starts right here. Uh, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. Um, and, And I think that that's something that we realize. They will be called the children of God. Why is that? Because God is a peacemaker. Uh, God is, is wants peace, but peace is not the absence of conflict. That's how the world sees it. Um, peace is being right with somebody uh, and, and being in a relationship uh, with somebody 
And so sometimes that means that there needs to be some difficult conversations and some conflict. And, and we see that in Jesus. And we see that right here in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and then he talks about persecution. And again, he turns it on its side. We would think that the ones that are blessed are the ones that aren't persecuted. But Jesus said, blessed are you uh, when you're persecuted. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, not just persecuted because they're acting out or because they're being bad or acting selfishly. Uh, if you break the wall and you, the law and you suffer, Romans 13 says, well, you know, that's why the laws are there. Uh, you need to be obedient to them until they reach a point where they're, they're calling you to be disobedient to God. Thankfully, in our country, we seldom see that. Um, but for Jesus, he says, look, if you're persecuted because of righteousness, you're persecuted because you're doing right and, and people are making you suffer because of that. Well, then you are blessed uh, and God sees and God knows. And again, God will take you into the kingdom of heaven. And then this is the one where he says more about it um, at the end in verses 11 and 12. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of things against you again because of me. They're not just talking bad about you. They're talking bad about you because of your faith. They're talking bad about you because of your life that's trying to live in obedience and humility before God uh, and his word uh, through Jesus Christ. And so he says, when that's you, rejoice and be glad. You know, don't be sorrowful, be thankful, be rejoicing uh, because your reward is great in heaven. And in the same way, they persecuted others of faith throughout the centuries, uh, just like they're doing uh, to you. And so when you suffer because of righteousness, when you suffer because you seek to live according to the word and will of God, then know that, that you're not the first and won't be the last. And you come from a long line of people who lived by faith. Hebrews 11 talks of those who, who suffered a lot in this life um, and, and who lived by faith. Uh, we look at Old Testament, great Old Testament prophets such as uh, Jeremiah and uh, Elijah and others who um, who spoke out strongly for the word and will of God and at times had to suffer. So these beatitudes, they're great, but they're not they're not like the way the world sees happiness and blessing. Our our country doesn't view it that way. Our country would see someone who is strong uh, and uh, proud and selfish and has servants rather than is a servant and uh, persecutes others rather than is the one who is persecuted, they would see that as the strong. Um, but in Jesus' world, that, that's not how that goes. And ultimately, we'll see it at the end of the book, as you know, uh, at the cross, at Calvary. Um, and, and that's where Jesus shows us what true strength and true power and even true blessing and joy is. Uh, in the book of Hebrews chapter 12, uh, Hebrews uh, says, fix your eyes on Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorned its shame, and is now sat down at the right hand of God. Well, the Beatitudes call us to do that. It tells us what that looks like. And then as we continue on, he's going to say more about what that righteous life looks like. And so we get to the next great passage, another very familiar passage, starting in verse 13. The salt of the earth and the light of the world. 
you are the salt of the earth, Matthew 5, 13. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I think that last verse, Matthew 5, verse 16, is another one of those that could be a theme verse. Uh, just like Matthew 5, verse 20, that we'll get to in a moment, just like chapter 6, verse 33, um, and others. Uh, Jesus talks about us being the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And I, I think one of the things that both of those have in common is that they're different. Salt is, uh, is different. If it loses its, um, uh, its ability to, to be different, then uh, it has no value. You might as well just toss it out in the street and let everybody walk over it. Uh, but when salt tastes salty, uh, when it has that ability to preserve another aspect of salt, but when it is able to flavor something, when it's, uh, it's appreciated because of its distinctiveness, then it has value. And I think what he's telling us as the church, what he's telling individual Christians is you need to be distinctive in a world that is, guess what, worldly. <laughs> uh, you need to not be so. We are still cultural people. We live in a certain time and place here in this country. We're 21st century Americans. Uh, where I live in Tyler, we live in Northeast Texas and, um, and there's nothing wrong with that. And so we reflect that culture, but we don't reflect the worldliness of the culture around us. And I think that's the difference. And that's when salt is true to its nature of being salt. And that's when light is true to its nature of being light. Uh, what sets light apart is when it's shown in the dark. Um, and that's, Jesus says, that's, that's why you light a lamp because it's dark. And if the light bulb is out, uh, then there's no reason to light it. It doesn't help. Why? Because it's just like everything around it, dark. Jesus says we're the light of the world. We're the city or town on a hill. Um, here in Tyler, we are an hour or so away from Dallas. And I always like to go to, uh, uh, to, to think about uh, Dallas. I had a friend uh, years ago, Mike Gillespie, a shout out to you, Mike, a coworker and a buddy. Um, and, uh, 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 you know, every time we would drive from Arlington to Dallas, when he saw the Dallas skyline, he would immediately bump into the theme from the show. Da, 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 da. And, and you can see the Dallas skyline, the downtown area for miles, miles. As we're driving on I-20 from Tyler, it's a long way uh, before we get there, but you can still see it. Um, I love that little place driving on I-20 West uh, in South Dallas and getting going towards Arlington where that's right around where 408 is. And you go down that hill as you're, you're going up it if you're coming east, but when you're going west, you're, you're going down. And you can, it's like you can see almost Abilene, certainly Fort Worth uh, from there because it's, uh, it's so tall. And you can see that you have that view. Jesus says, that's how you're to be. You're to be the light of the world. You're to be the city on a hill. Uh, you're to do that by, through your good deeds. Jesus said, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds. 
and not glorify you, but glorify God on the day he visits us. He'll say something very similar in Matthew 6 as he talks about uh, the purpose and the motivation and the heart behind our worship and our service of God. That if we're doing it to be seen by others, then that's no good. But if we're doing it to glorify and honor God, then that's something else. And Jesus says here, Peter says the same thing in 1 Peter 2, verses 9 through 12, when he talks about us doing good, us overcoming evil with good, as Paul tells the Romans. And Peter tells his hearers and, and readers in the book of 1 Peter, look, you may be on the bottom level of society, and they were um, as immigrants in probably modern day Northwest Turkey. Uh, having had to flee there because of their Christian faith, having been run out of Jerusalem and Palestine. Um, Peter tells him, look, you just, you just keep doing the good that you're doing, and it'll bear fruit. And people will ask why you have hope, First uh, Peter 3. Jesus is saying the same thing here. Let your light so shine before others that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father who is in heaven. Uh, that's the purpose behind it all. Be the light of the world. Be the salt of the earth. Don't lose your distinctiveness. Um, I think of Romans 12, uh, verses 1 and 2, that says, Offer your bodies as living sacrifices uh, before God. Uh, and the Phillips translation, uh, Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Uh, don't be worldly. Let your light shine. Don't be like uh, the darkness, uh, be that salt of the earth. Uh, keeping up, Matthew 5, verse 17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And then verse 20, which I think is the theme verse, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law or scribes, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, the righteousness of God. Jesus is talking about a different kind of righteousness than what their religious leaders had shown. He's talking about a righteousness that comes from the heart. He's talking about a righteousness that is seen in what he had just said, their deeds, their actions. It's not just that they talk a good game. It's that they actually live that way. Uh, later on, as he is uh, in conflict with the religious leaders, he's going to tell those around him, look, your religious leaders, they say a lot of things, and it's good for you to do what they say, but don't do what they do because they don't practice what they preach. Christians, faithful Christians, being the salt of the earth and the light of the world, having that righteousness goes, that goes beyond that, um, we, we practice what we preach. We don't do it perfectly. It's not something where we are sinless, but we can do it faithfully. And we seek to do it faithfully. We seek to do the right thing. We are seeking, we're hungering and thirsting for righteousness, even though we can't attain it on our own. That's what our purpose is. That's what our desire is. That's why we live the way we live. Um, and Jesus is going to explain to us in the words ahead, the chapters ahead, that that comes through this book right here. That comes from reading and learning and seeking to live according to his word 
and his teaching. Uh, later on in this sermon in Matthew chapter 7, he's going to say, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. In John chapter 8, he's going to say, you want to know who my disciples are? It's the ones who are following my teaching. Uh, and they are the ones who know the truth. They are the ones for whom the truth sets free. Um, and so Jesus says, let your righteousness surpass that of your religious leaders. Um, and let your righteousness be such that you will be able to enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, that kind of gives us a picture uh, of where he's going in the book of Matthew, because the rest of the book talks about that exact thing. It talks about the difference between the righteousness of the religious leaders of the day and the righteousness of God that Jesus talks about and that Jesus lives out in front of them and that Jesus calls on us to live as well. Here in the Sermon on the Mount and throughout the book, he's going to give us some specific examples of what that looks like. So we'll kind of summarize these that uh, go through the rest of Matthew 5, and then we'll try to look at Matthew 6 and 7 uh, on Thursday. Uh, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Matthew 5, 21, uh, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, a term of contempt and anger and judgment is answerable to the court. And anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. And so again, it's not in the specific words, but it's in the heart that's behind it. Uh, Jesus was angry at times. So he's not just talking about uh, righteous indignation, we might say. He was angry when he calls out the religious leaders in Matthew 23. He was angry when he overturned those tables in the temple. Um, but here he's talking about a different kind of anger. Here he's talking about a selfish anger, an anger that uh, Jesus says, uh, you've heard it said, don't murder, but let me tell you, the heart inside is what condemns. And so he's going to go on in the verses that follow, and he's going to say, look, if you're, if you're going to church, if you're going to offer your gift at the altar, and you remember that things aren't right between you and a brother or sister, you better take care of that. Um, we're reminded of the Ten Commandments, and it's interesting that six of those Ten Commandments are more the horizontal, the relationship that we have with each other, rather than the vertical. The vertical commandments are things like, you shall have no other gods before me. Um, uh, the horizontal commandments are the ones that say, don't covet, uh, don't lie, uh, honor your father and mother. Uh, six of the ten are, are that. And here Jesus says, look, as important as going to church is, you need to be uh, in a good relationship with your brother and your sister too. And he's not saying don't do that any more than Hosea was saying don't sacrifice, don't practice religion. He's just saying don't do that at the expense of mercy. And Jesus here is saying don't offer your worship at the expense of your relationship uh, with others. Um, there comes a time when that relationship has to be put on the line. And Jesus does that in the Gospels. He confronts. He tells people, look, you need to leave your life of sin. That woman caught in the very act of adultery, as John expresses it in John chapter 8, uh, she was told when all everyone else had left, we forget that Jesus wasn't through yet. 
and uh, he chased all of them away, but it was just her, him and the woman. And he asked her, where are your accusers? And she said, I don't have any. And Jesus said, well, I'm not going to condemn you either, but I want you to leave here and I want you to leave your life of sin. So there was that word of confrontation, that word of judgment that said, look, I don't accept your life. I don't accept your choices. You need to change. You need to repent. You need to be faithful. You need to seek the righteousness of God. Well, I think we see that as well. And a part of that is in our relationship um, with each other. We skip down to verse 27 and Jesus talks about adultery and it's a very familiar passage. As he contrasts the actual act uh, of physical adultery, sexual immorality with the heart that lusts and is behind it. Uh, one of the horrible, horrible curses in our land today is, is pornography. And it's been the ruination of many people. It's been the ruination of many uh, marriages, of many families and homes. Um, and, and it's just a horrible, horrible curse. Jesus condemns it. Don't let anyone tell you that, oh, it's a victimless uh, uh, sin. It's a victimless act. There, there are victims there starting with the one who is uh, forced into a lifestyle either by their own choice or someone else's and continuing on to the person who uh, spends their time uh, in that and the people who have lost relationship and their relationship with that person has suffered because of their pornography addiction and activity. Uh, Jesus condemns it here. It's, it's, it's a sin. There, there's no way you can sugarcoat that. Jesus says, if you look at a woman in lust or a man in lust, uh, that you have committed adultery with them uh, in your heart. And again, Jesus is looking at the heart and he's asking what, what is going on in your heart? What is your condition in your heart? And so Jesus condemns that. We want to say to people who struggle with that, get help, get help. There's help out there. Uh, there's people who can help you through that. Uh, celebrate recovery, um, uh, 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 sexual addicts anonymous. There's so many opportunities, a counselor, a therapist, um, somebody that you can go to that can help you get through that. And it's something that, that can take over your life. And Jesus calls us to uh, overcome that. And just like everything else, sometimes you need help. Uh, if, you have a, if you have a sore foot, you go to a podiatrist. Uh, if you uh, need glasses, you go to uh, an eye doctor. Um, if, if there are some things going on in other aspects of your life, mental health, emotional health, then, then get help for that. Uh, that's, uh, there's nothing wrong uh, with, with getting help. Um, Jesus continues on and talks about a related topic of divorce beginning in verse 31. And we'll say more about this down the line because Jesus is going to talk about this again in chapter 19. Um, but he sets the bar very high, uh, very high. Divorce, uh, broken marriages, uh, the sin that happens between a husband and wife, uh, those, those were realities of Jesus' day in the first century. They were realities of Moses' day when the law was established. Uh, they were reality in, in the Apostle Paul's day, as he commented on that in 1 Corinthians 7. They're a reality for us today. Um, my view is we minister to the divorced and the divorcing. We try to help good marriages be stronger and better. We try to help struggling marriages overcome their difficulties. 
and for those who are trying to get through the devastation of, of divorce, uh, we, we try to help them to be obedient to God in the, in the midst of a traumatic time. Um, I'm, I'm the adult child of an alcoholic. Uh, I am the adult child of uh, divorced parents. And, um, and many of you are as well. Many of you are involved in a second or more marriage. And what I tell people that are married, you be faithful to your spouse. You make your marriage everything that God wants marriage uh, to be. Uh, we'll see Jesus talk more about this in chapter 19. Um, we see him talk about this here. Later, he's going to take us back to the Garden of Eden. Later, he's going to take us back to the institution of marriage that started from God and that calls on a man to leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. Um, I believe very strongly that marriage is between a man, a male, and a woman, a female, and that it's a commitment that's made before God and that it's a commitment that's made for life until uh, for as long as we both shall live. Uh, Jesus is going to base his teaching on marriage in Matthew 19 on that very thing, on that passage in the garden in Genesis where God uh, creates man and creates woman for each other and institutes marriage. It wasn't man's idea, it was God's idea. Um, and so we try to do the best we can with it and we try to do it exactly as God uh, calls us to do. Um, continuing on in Matthew 5, uh, he talks about oaths and beginning in verse 33, the Jews were uh, classically uh, swearing on things and that, that would cause them to be required to fulfill what they say. And what Jesus says is, look, you shouldn't have to swear by something to, to be faithful to your word, to be true to your word. This is where he says, hey, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Stand by what you say. Um, uh, do what you say you're going to do. Come through with it. You don't have to say, well, because I didn't swear it on an oath, I don't have to follow it. Um, Jesus says, don't be like that. Uh, be a person of your word. Tell the truth uh, and stand by uh, what you say. And then the rest of the passage in Matthew chapter 5 is going to be um, some of the most challenging in the, in the chapter, which is very challenging already, as you know. Um, but here he says, beginning in verse 38, you've heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. He's quoting the Old Testament. And we understand that in a, <clears throat> in a society of people, um, there has to be laws and there has to be uh, judgment and justice. Um, and we get that. We get that. Uh, Jesus is not talking about that here. He's talking to his followers. He's talking to disciples. And he says, look, this is what the world says. What the world says is if somebody pops you in the mouth, then pop them back. Um, the world says if somebody is mean and cruel to you, then be mean and cruel right back at them. Uh, later on in Matthew 7, he's going to say that's not the way my followers live, but rather you treat others the way you would want to be treated, as he shares what we call uh, the golden rule in Matthew 7, verse 12. He tells us in other places that we're to love others the way he has loved us, that we're to serve others the way he has served us. Um, when he washes his disciples' feet in John 13, he tells them, now that I've done this for you, you do this for each other. Uh, Jesus tells us in, in 1 John, as John records, he's, he says, look, we're to love others the way Christ loved us. And 
as Christ has forgiven us and accepted us, we are to do the same for each other. Uh, here he says, look, if somebody, that great passage, if somebody pops you on one cheek, turn the other cheek and, and let, them, let them have that as well. Uh, the Jews had marked a mile around their homes because according to Roman law, they could command a Jewish person to carry their pack for them one mile, but they couldn't do it more than that because that would be inhumane. And so the Jews had it marked to the very inch, I think. Um, but Jesus says, that, that's not the way my followers are. Uh, once you get to that point and that Roman guard is looking for his uh, pack because he knows this is as far as you're going to go, you tell him, oh, no, I'm good. Let's, I, can go, I can go longer. I'll help you out. It'll be fine. Um, that's how Jesus did it. And that's how we're supposed to do it too. Not because we expect somebody is going to treat us that way, but because we know that someone has already treated us that way. And that someone is God. That someone is Jesus Christ. And so Jesus says, look, give, give them everything that you can to help them. If they're in need of help, then, then give them the help they need. Don't put conditions on it because of the way they treat you. Uh, act based on what they need. Uh, the, my favorite definition of love is that love always acts in the best interest of the other. And so we think unselfishly of them rather than ourselves. And so then Jesus uh, brings chapter 5 to a close, starting in verse 43. He says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, verse 48, as your heavenly father is perfect. We need this passage as much as any in our country today. We are such a polarized country. Uh, we have drawn the lines. We have said, if you agree with me on everything, you're my friend. If you disagree with me on anything, you're my enemy. Um, and we attack personally. We make judgments about people simply because they disagree with us. And we forget our own humanity, first of all, that we could be wrong <laughs> about some things. Um, but we also forget this call from Jesus. Jesus tells us, look, that's the way the world lives. That's the way that people are all around you. That's not the way you're to be. You're to be the salt of the earth. You're to be the light of the world. You're to be that light that shines in a dark, dark place. Um, and one of the best ways that we can see that in our society today, in our country, in our communities, is by loving our enemies, by being respectful and considerate uh, genuinely caring and wanting their good, even when we disagree. And it doesn't mean that we accept their attitude. It doesn't mean we accept their actions. It still means we stand strongly against them uh, in those areas where we have strong convictions. Um, but it just means we don't do that the way the world does that. We don't do that by belittling them. We don't do that by calling them names. We don't do that by accusing their hearts and their motives. Uh, because that's beyond our judgment. Uh, God can handle that job just fine. We stand by the sanctity of life. We stand with the sanctity of marriage. Uh, we stand with uh, being 
uh, people who support those who are outcast and in need um, and, and whose friendship with us may not uh, bring us anything the way the world measures, but, but we do that because it's the right thing to do because those are the ones that Jesus has said are blessed and because those are the ones that Jesus reached out to. And so we stand by those convictions. We live that way. We teach and preach that way, but we don't do that in ways that are unloving. Um, we do that in ways that are respectful and considerate, humble, um, and, and, and we point them uh, to this. We point them to Scripture. We point them to the Word of God. When Jesus says, you be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, again, we read that in the context of those verses. Jesus said, look, you want to be like God? You know what God does? He doesn't just allow rain and sunshine on the good people. He gives that to everybody. Uh, he doesn't just share his blessings uh, with just the people who follow him faithfully. He does that to his enemies as well. And so if we want to be children of God, if we want to be like God, then that's what it's going to take. Uh, Jesus lived a life in this earth that was like salt, different, distinctive, uh, different values. Jesus lived a life on this earth that was light in a dark world. And he calls us to be the same. He calls us to be the light of the world. He calls us to be the salt of the earth. He calls us to live according to the Beatitudes. He calls us to live according to his teaching uh, that he's begun here in chapter five and will continue. He calls us to be like the Father uh, who loves all, good and bad, and seeks their good, uh, but doesn't do that at the expense of truth. Um, Jesus came, John 1 tells us, uh, full of grace and truth. He came to this life and um, the word became flesh and revealed to us grace and truth, mercy and sacrifice. Uh, love and obedience. Uh, for Jesus, there was never a call to choose one or the other. It was a call to do both. And that same call is ours uh, today. We'll look at Matthew 6 and 7 on Thursday at 4 p.m. I appreciate so much you being here. I'm sorry I didn't get to uh, shout out to too many, but it's great uh, that you have uh, followed along and that you've uh, listened in. There'll be others, that hopefully, that will uh, see this. It'll be posted on my Facebook page. It'll be posted on our West Irwin Church of Christ uh, Facebook page and also uh, on our website, westirwin.com. And you can see it on video archives there uh, uh, pretty quickly as well. Uh, let's close with prayer, um, and, uh, and then we'll uh, end the meeting. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your call a call that, it's, that is difficult, that is not easy, but that it is a call to be like you and like the Father. So Father, help us to, uh, to do that. Help us uh, to be able to be like Jesus. Help us to be able to be like you. Help us to be that light shining at a dark time in a dark world. Heal our land, Father, and our world, we pray. But Father, in the meantime, and long after this pandemic is over, Help us, Father, to show what it means to be truly blessed, to show what it means to seek a righteousness that is beyond just what you hear, but how you live. 
Help us, Father, to be children of yours, uh, to treat others the way, not just the way we would want to be treated by them, but the way you have treated us uh, in love and mercy, in a call to the righteousness uh, that will truly last. Father, bless us, forgive us, help us, Father, to share that message as the salt of the earth and the light of the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you all. I'll see you Thursday at 4. But I won't be wearing such a cool shirt. Sorry. And happy birthday, Amanda. Woo! -hoo!